Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to challenge you maybe a little bit today in a way that may make you a little uncomfortable if you've, if you've been real comfortable in... Um, in some, in some ways of thinking. So I want to challenge that hopefully today um, for a lot of us. Let me begin with my story about where, I'm, where we're going, okay? So back in 1984, my wife and I were, you know, we were going to get married. And um, we thought the thing to do when you get married is you go to a church and, you know, you have a, a wedding at a church and you have maybe a pastor officiate it. So we didn't go to church. I never went to church growing up, didn't have a church. And so... Um, you know, and my, my wife used to go to church when she was younger, but she had stopped going sometimes in her teenage years. And so anyways, we, we, we didn't have a church. So we went and made an appointment at a local church and asked the pastor, would, would you, you know, can we have our wedding here and would you perform the wedding? And he said, well, I'll do that. Couple conditions. First of all, um, I want you to go through premarital counseling and um, which basically uh, four sessions, I think we did, four sessions of this premarital counseling to kind of give you a heads up what marriage is about. And we, I want you to attend church while you're doing that. And we agreed to do that. So anyways, we, we, sh- we were there for our first meeting and he started, he wanted to get to know us. And so he started asking some questions. And one of the questions he asked is, are, are you a Christian? And he asked my wife first, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And he turned to me and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. Now, I want you to know, I had no really idea what that meant. I didn't, I didn't know what it meant. So for me to answer that question, it was more of a process of elimination in my mind. Here's, how, here's, here's my, my thought process. When he asked that question, you're a Christian, here, here's what I thought. I thought, well, back in 1984, I thought, you know, this is America. This is a Christian nation. And I know that I'm not Jewish, I'm not Buddhist, and I'm not Muslim. So therefore, by the process of elimination, that means... I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Now, again, I didn't have a clue what it meant, but that was the best I could come up with at that moment, and that's what I thought. And I found out later that was false thinking. If you backtrack from that point, back when I was about 12, I was, I did, as I said, I didn't go to church. I was visiting some cousins that lived out of state. They went to church, and that particular evening, there was some sort of youth event for their youth group at their church. And they invited me to go, and I went. And when I went there, the youth pastor, probably sensing that there was some guy in here that had no clue spiritually what was going on, he kind of zeroed in on me and, and asked me some questions and, that I don't remember. But by the end of the night, he handed me one of these Bible tracts. I don't know if you've ever seen these. They used to be real popular. They were, they were basically the gospel message in a booklet form. And so I, I, he gave this to me. I stuck it in my back pocket, and then I left. Later that evening, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I pulled it out of my pocket, and I thought, oh, oh yeah, what did that guy give me? And I started looking through this booklet. I skimmed through it, but I got to the end, and it says, if, basically, if you don't want to go to hell, pray this prayer. And I thought, man, I don't want to go to hell. I, I, you know, I don't know anything much, much about it, but that doesn't sound like a good thing to happen. So I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go. I'm going to pray this prayer. Don't know what it means. Don't know. It doesn't matter if that will save me from hell. I'll do this. And I prayed that prayer. So I'd go for the rest of that, you know, the next 11 years leading up to that conversation with that pastor at that church thinking that I'm a Christian. But little did I know that's not what it meant 
to be a Christian. In fact, now when I ask somebody, I don't ask them if they're Christian because they probably answer that way. I, I like the term Christ follower because that, I think that narrows it down a little bit more. But nonetheless, there's a lot of false thinking when it comes to that. And, and being that we live in the dirty South, there's a lot of people who are really confused what it means to be saved. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of false thinking because a lot of people think that just because they grew up in a home where, where Christianity was celebrated, maybe their, their, their parents are Christians, their grandparents are Christians or whatever, they just assume that, 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 yes, I grew up in a Christian home, I'm Christian. False, by the way. Doesn't really work that way. Or maybe you were kind of like me. Maybe that you had an experience where you said a prayer at some point, didn't really know what it meant. They were just words. But you said it just hoping it'd be kind of like some fire insurance just in case something happened, you know, that you were going to, you know, somehow end up in heaven. So that may be your experience, but I'll just tell you this, that, that it's not about a prayer. It's about a commitment of the heart that people are saved. So I want to challenge, here's the challenge I want you to think of, because, you know, we're all here today, people watching online, and I know that just because I've done this long enough that not everybody that sits in a church is a follower of Jesus. There are some that, that are. There are some that are, haven't yet made that decision. There are some that, you know, that are somewhere just kind of wandering somewhere in the middle of that. I don't know. But there are people all over the place on the spiritual spectrum here today and watching online. So no matter where you are, whether you've been in church all your life or this is the first time you've ever entered the doors of a church, I want to challenge your thinking about what it means to be saved. Because if you just said a prayer but didn't have any meaning, you know, words without commitment are just words, right? When you, go, when you get married, those, those vows that you make are not what, you know, yes, that might legally make you married because you said some vows and, uh, and you had a ceremony, but that's really not really much to do with it. I mean, that couple is there because they love each other. And this is just kind of one more thing that adds to it. It's kind of the public demonstration of that where they're coming together and you're, they're kind of sealing the deal. But it's, it's, just, it's just kind of a carryover of the love they have for one another. That's kind of like salvation. So what I'm going to do is we're in a series called Unrestricted. We're looking at the, the book of Galatians. And just for a little bit of recap, in this book, it was originally written as a letter by this guy named the Apostle Paul. And he writes to some churches in an area of the country of the world known as Galatia. That's now modern day Turkey. But he writes these letters to these churches that many of them he had a hand in starting. And now he's, he's not there any longer. He's writing because he's heard that there's a problem. Because when he was there, he started those churches and those churches were all started with the basic premise of this. It's all about Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation. It's, it's only about Jesus and what he did on a cross that, that made it possible for us to be forgiven and, and to know God. And the people accepted that message, that simplicity of that message. But then after he left and some time went by, some other people who were Jewish by birth, but now were Christians, they came in and said, hey, you guys, because the, the people in those churches in Galatia, for the most part, were Gentiles, non-Jews. So they didn't have that history. So these Jewish people came in who are now believers and they said, hey guys, let me tell you something. Your salvation is not real because it's not enough to just have Jesus. You need Jesus and you need to be circumcised or you need Jesus and you need to follow the Old Testament law. But the whole idea of, of us as New Testament believers is that we're no longer under the bondage of a law because rules and regulations don't work. The people of Israel couldn't follow them. It was impossible because none of us are perfect. 
So Jesus came and said, look, now you just trust in me. I, I did the work. I'm, per, I'm the perfect one, and I, I paid the price for you, so you don't have to try to live by rules and regulations any longer. But anyways, this confusion came into, into the church, and Paul writes the letter and says, hey, guys, heads up. These people are deceiving you. That's not what you believed at the beginning, and that's not true now. So let's get some right thinking when it comes to what it means to be saved. So I want to go and uh, just kind of read a few verses in Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. And this is part of the letter. And here's what he says to them. He said, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. It's impossible, right? We, we're not good enough. For the, for, for the scriptures say it is through faith that a person, that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessings he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So he says, basically, look, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter any longer. It's all in Christ. We're all have access to God. And that's good news for us as we sit here today in, uh, in, you know, in 2021. So, so here's what I'm going to do. And this is where the challenge comes is I want to give you the three essentials that the Bible teaches about salvation. This is what is required to be saved. And, and, and I want you to do that evaluation in your own life and determine, am I truly saved? If I were to die today, would I, would I end up in heaven or not? Do I really have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not? And so try to set aside maybe that heritage that you're trusting in or maybe some prayer that you might have said in a, in a moment that you didn't even understand what you were saying. And let's get back to what the Bible says about salvation. All right, first of the three essentials of salvation, number one is faith. And faith is receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, okay? So we start with faith. And faith is, let me, let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not about acknowledging or believing facts. That's not true faith. Now, it's, it's not, I, I can say that I believe that the Bible is true from cover to cover, but that is still not true faith. That's acknowledging facts. Faith requires a step of action. Faith means that I do something with the information that I have. That's when faith is, is active, is that when I put it into use. So in the case of salvation, here's what it would look like. It, it, it's, it's the belief of that would say that the acknowledgement would say that, yes, I believe that I'm a sinner that is powerless to save myself from my sins. And, 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 and I believe that Jesus was God's provision for us, that he came and he was God in flesh and came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he was put to death on a cross where he shed his blood so that we might be forgiven. And then he rose again three days later. Now, I, that, again, I, I can believe that, but the faith comes in with that information. Now I'm committing my life to him. All right. I believe it and I'm receiving him in by action. All right. That's what, that's where faith is generated. So, so let's, let's look at it's what it says in, in John chapter one. In John chapter one, it says, but to all who believed him 
and accepted him. Another translation says, and received him. Talking about Jesus. For them who believed in him, believed here, you know, I acknowledge the fact, and I accept him, or I receive him. He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The spiritual rebirth we spoke about last week that only God initiates. That's how a person is saved. And so he, he says, it's, it's all about this faith to them who, who believed and accepted or received him. And I want you to think about salvation as a gift because we know it's a gift. Like we don't earn salvation. It's, that's where faith is that I believe uh, that Jesus did it for me and I don't have to try to do it. It's already done. But let's just look at it as a gift. If I had a gift, if I had a box up here that was beautifully decorated and wrapped and boat on top of it, I could look at that gift and acknowledge that that's a gift. I could believe that's a gift. It's in a pretty box. It's got paper on it. It's got a bow on it. Therefore, it's a gift. But that's not enough, right? I can believe it, but it's still not my gift. It's not until I receive it that it becomes my gift. Do I accept it until I open it up and incorporate it in my life? That's when it becomes active. That's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes my gift in my life, not just a gift in general, generic speaking. Now, let's, let's kind of continue that thought and look what it says in Ephesians chapter two. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It's, gra it's, it's, it's grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. And a great scripture here because what it says is, look, the salvation that God's salvation is a gift. It's, it's by God's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's not by anything I do. It's all about him. And it's through my faith in what he did on that cross, that act of faith that, that, that really makes it real. And it says it's not of work, so no one could boast. And here's what, it, here's what we can surmise by this. It, 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 faith is essential to salvation because I cannot save myself. You can't save yourself. You can't get good enough to come to God on your own. You can't be religious enough to get to God on your own. It is impossible. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Just like we said in, in message number one, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the good news message. That's awesome, and that's great. It takes the burden off of us. It put it on him. He went to a cross, and now we receive him, not just believe, but we receive him as Lord and Savior. It is by his grace, through my faith in what he did, that makes it, for me, makes, you know, that gives me my salvation. The same is true with you. And that's good news. Guys, listen, that's what it's all about. It's not about you trying to earn it. You can't. That's the whole point. So, it's, it's God's grace, God's grace alone that leads me to this. Now, here's what, it, here's what it talks a little bit further about this whole idea of faith. In Romans chapter one, it says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, what he did. I'm not ashamed of it. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Not a mental acknowledgement by, by faith, okay? Everyone, it doesn't matter what you've done, what your past looks like, how many mistakes you've made. This, it's, it's powerful enough to save everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile, anybody who's not a Jew. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. That's how we're made right, right? As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. In Galatians chapter 3, which we just read. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God trying to keep the law. You can't do it with rules and regulations. Impossible. For the scriptures say it is through faith 
that a righteous person has life. Okay, so, so we've established, I hope, that it's the first essential is that we have to have faith, an active faith in what he did to save us. The second essential is repentance. Repentance is turning from sin and turning toward God. Turning from sin and turning toward God. Now, let me say this, because I don't want you to confuse what I just said a minute ago, that our salvation is not works-based. This is not, I'm not talking about earning your salvation by something you do. This is not what repentance is. Repentance is not being perfect. Repentance is not making mistakes. Repentance is simply a, a change of heart. Like when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, and it is by his grace and grace alone that I'm saved, my repentance doesn't work toward that salvation. That's already established. My repentance is the heart attitude that says, I, am, I have not been living the right way. I've been doing things my own way, opposing God in everything I do, and I am doing a spiritual 180. I'm going to do a U-turn, and I'm coming back toward God. I'm admitting I was wrong. God was right. It's an attitude of my heart that says, now that I have faith in Christ, I don't want to live the old life that I used to live. I want a new life in Christ. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not, it's a biblical word. It's a little confusing to a lot of people. Repentance, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that I just merely feel sorry that I've messed up. It doesn't mean that I, you know, that I, even, even that I'm remorseful that I messed up. It doesn't mean that I cry alligator tears that I blew it. That's all well and good, but that's not truly repentance. Repentance, like faith, is active. Repentance says that I am actually, I'm changing. It's not that I feel bad about it. I'm doing something about it. I can't save myself, but I am acknowledging that my heart and my life need to turn toward the way that God wants me to go. That's what repentance is. I love the comic strip um, Peanuts, you know, Charlie Brown and uh, it's a good guy. Charlie Brown always tries to do the right thing. And then you've got Lucy who, you know, she's always kind of, you know, she doesn't always do the right thing. Well, anyways, in, in this particular comic strip, uh, Charlie Brown is the, is the kicker on the football team. And Lucy is the one that holds the ball. And every time that Charlie Brown goes and runs the kick, she moves the ball and he goes flying on his back. Well, he keeps doing it and she keeps doing it, right? Every time he does it, he keeps trusting her. She keeps moving the ball. And finally he says, how can you do, do, keep doing that? Come on. And she says, okay, Charlie Brown, I won't do it anymore, I promise. He goes, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. And then he goes up there to kicks again, and she moves the ball. He falls on his back. He's like, what's up with it? Here's what, here's what Lucy says. She says, Charlie Brown, recognizing your faults and actually changing your ways are two different things. Can I just tell you, that's what repentance is. Acknowledging your faults is not enough. It's when you change that repentance happens when there is a noticeable difference. Look, when, if, you're, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and nobody can tell the difference, something's wrong. All right, I'm just telling you, if, if someone's like, are you really different? Then you probably haven't repented. And here's what Galatians says, right? Galatians says, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is not a human thing. This is God. I'm, I'm just admitting that I'm wrong and you're right. And my heart wants to do the right thing because I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. And I, I believe that I, I, I want this spiritual U-turn. And I'm moving. I was heading toward my sin, my own way of doing things, but I am turning back toward your way 
in what you're calling me to do. That's, that's what repentance is. It doesn't mean you have it all together. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It simply means that your heart is different. Your heart wants to do the things of God. That's what it means. In Matthew 4, 17, a lot of people, they have a, probably never even read this verse. And it surprises a lot of people when you hear Jesus' message. All right? I think a lot of times we think of Jesus as just, I'm just all love. Just do what you want to do. It's okay because I love you. He does. But here's what, here's what, listen to this verse. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Here's Jesus' sermon. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what Jesus said. Repent of your sin. Turn to God. Do the 180. Give your life, your heart to Jesus. And if you don't believe this is how Jesus operated, let me give you two examples. First example is the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. For those who don't know that story, the Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, hated Jesus. And they tried to trip him up every time they, they got a chance because he was full of grace and mercy and they were all rules and regulations. And so they go one day and they find this woman caught in the act of adultery. They, they grab her, literally probably naked, and pull her there and they throw her down in front of Jesus. And here's what they say. They said the law, the Old Testament law says this woman must be stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery, which was true. That's what the Old Testament law said. And Jesus says, okay, he who was out sin cast the first stone. And he goes on the ground and starts writing in the dirt. And they, they realize, oh, I guess none of us are qualified to throw the stone. He was, Jesus was the only one qualified because he was the only one without sin, but they knew they had sinned. And so they just kind of walked away quietly, got out of there. Jesus turns around, looks up, and there's the woman. It's just he and the woman. And, and Jesus has this moment with her. She's probably trembling in fear, realizing, uh-oh, you know, I mean, this is totally like the worst case scenario possibly. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Did none of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus gave her the grace, right? Jesus said, all right, uh, look, I'm not going to condemn you. Yes, you were caught in adultery, but I'm, it's not about the law. Now there's grace. I'm giving you undeserved grace. But with that, understand there's a responsibility. Go and sin no more. Don't, he wasn't saying you have to be perfect. You'll never sin again. But the trajectory of your heart has now changed away from your sin and your lifestyle back to me. That's what repentance is. That's what Jesus taught. That's what the Bible teaches. It's necessary. Let me give you another example from the scripture. In Luke chapter 15, one of the greatest stories in all the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know that. Many of you, it's, it's your favorite story in the Bible. In this story, if you don't know that, what it is, it's a parable. A parable is a, is a made-up story that Jesus would, would, would use to illustrate a spiritual point. And so he tells the story that the, the point of the story is, is, is the love of God, that, that is never ending. And no matter how far you've strayed, God loves you and, and will, will always accept you. And so in the story, he, he tells the story about a, there's a father who has two sons. In the story, God is the father of the story. And then the sons, right, the two sons, one of them is known as the prodigal son. The younger one is the prodigal son. That's all of us. And so in the story, the young 
son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I would like to have my inheritance before you die. I'd like to have it now. So the dad agrees, gives him all the money that he would have got after the dad died. Give it to him now. Well, the kid, John, because never had independence, never been on his own, but now he's got it. And he found all that new freedom. He got money and he leaves and he goes to a distant country, the Bible says. And while he's there, he's living it up. He's partying like a rock star and he runs out of money. He runs out of friends. He runs out of everything. And wouldn't you know it, on top of that, there's a famine in the land. Now he's in a jam, and so he decides, what am I going to do? Well, he's got to get a job. He can't find a job. Finally, the only job he can find is, is feeding pigs. And he's in the pig pen one day, and he's looking at the pods. He's feeding the pigs, and he's thinking, man, that looks pretty appetizing. This is how far this kid is sinking. It's sunk. And the Bible says that he has this moment. It's the transition of the entire story. It says he, 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 he came to his senses. The light bulb, the aha moment, the, the moment that says, wait, what am I doing? Why am I living this way? Why am I settling for this kind of life? And he comes to his senses and he says to himself, you know what I think what I'll do? I think I'll head back home. Now, I probably won't be accepted as a son after blowing the inheritance, but at least when I get there, I can get a job with my dad and work as one of his servants because I'll, I'll live better than I am now. And there's this whole story that shows this repentance. And I, and I want to break it down for you and show you how this works. That there's these steps to repentance. And let me show you through his story. The first one is he acknowledged that he had sinned. He had messed up. In that story, he came to his senses. That's the acknowledgement. Uh-oh. I shouldn't have done this. That's the first step. But that's not repentance yet. Then there's the confession of sin. He's, he's thinking as he's walking home, he's, he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad when he sees him. And here's what he says. He's thinking, all right, here's what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned. That's confession. It's necessary before repentance that I'm agreeing with God. That I, that's, confession is agreeing with God. That's all it is. That God's right. I'm wrong. That's what confession is. And I'm telling God what he already knows. So there's confession. Then there's this brokenness. He says in the speech he's going to give to his dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's a brokenness. But that's still not repentance, but it's getting there. It's necessary. The acknowledgement of my sin, the confession of my, uh, the acknowledgement of my sin, the confession of my sin and brokenness for what I've done leads me to repentance, which is the next step. And that's when he decided, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to now take the first step. And he returns home to the Father. He turns away from his old life, turns back to God. This is the point of repentance. And here's the best part about it. The fifth part of the repentance is the reception he got when he, let, when he got back to his dad. Instead of being condemned by his father, his father didn't even want to hear his speech. He, he restores him as his son, kills the fatted calf, and they throw a party, which basically the last part of repentance is life change. That's what repentance looks like. So if you're, doing, if you're not doing that, you're not repenting. That's what repentance is. Acts 17.30. It says God's, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. This is a warning. God is saying, look. Trust me on this thing, that you need to repent of your sins because there is judgment coming. 
There is, there, because he's a holy God and he must punish wrongdoing. But if you're in Christ, his punishment was put on Christ for you. That's why we have to give our life to Jesus. You, you don't want that punishment that God's going to dish out to those who, who reject him. In Romans chapter 2, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does, it, does this thing mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's, his kindness leads to repentance. That's what it's saying. So the essentials of salvation. First, I have faith. I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Secondly, I repent. I turn from my sin and turn back to God. But the third part of salvation is commitment. Commitment. And that's relinquishing control of your life. Relinquishing control of your life. You've got to make him the Lord of your life. Not just the Savior, but the Lord, the one you, who is in control. There's a lot of ways that I've termed, you know, uh, you've, not a terminology I've used for this. You can use any of these things. But it's basically getting to the point where you, you say, all right, Jesus, I'm giving you the keys to my life. You drive. I'll slide over to the pasture seat. You give him the throne that he deserves in your life. You get off the throne. You move to the feet. When put him on the throne, you move to his feet in a place of submission. You make him CEO, you make him master, you become the servant, whatever, however you want to term out, the terminology you want to use. The, the, the idea is that I am no longer in control, that he is, I'm now committing my life to him. And with that, that means he has full control. I don't have any more control over my life. That's what it says. Matthew 16, the words of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, bottom line, you commit your life to me. If you want to be my follower... Here is what is required, not optional. It is required that you pick up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you willingly give up your life for my sake, you'll gain it. And what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, yet lost his soul? Think about that. There's so many people out there in the rat race trying to, trying to gain the world. But at the end of the day, what would it profit him if he gained the whole world yet lost his soul? Then he asked the question, is there anything worth more than your soul? That's a rhetorical question. Now, answer is obviously no. The, the most important thing is your soul. It will live on into eternity. That's what Jesus said. There is no middle ground with Jesus. Jesus was black and white when it came to this thing. Jesus would say, hey, either you're my follower or you're not. There's no middle ground. Either you're all in or you're not in at all. I don't know where we've come up with this idea that we can just kind of say a prayer somehow and then live any way we want to, have our own agenda, live out our lives, and somehow God's pleased with that. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus said. And there are a lot of people who are, who are probably in for a rude awakening at the end of their lives when they don't understand this stuff. This is a commitment. Let me tell you the Greek word here, okay? And I've told you this before. This word here for this commitment is the strongest word for devotion in the Greek language, and it is called proskaterio. This is a word that means um, 
total 100% commitment. And the picture of this is a pit bull that grabs on to a bone. You cannot release. He, you, you could try to pry his jaws off. They're not coming. That's, that's proscatoria. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the commitment you need to have for Jesus because that's the commitment he has for you. He, he has that kind of commitment for us and he expects the same in return. We have to be willing to, to lay down our life for, for him. So when you get all of these three, three things together, I get, this conf, I get this first part where I have faith and then I have repentance and then I have commitment. That leads to salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. That's life change. That's transformation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this. It says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's, it's again, another beautiful picture of when I give my life to Christ, when I do those things, what happens is that God changes me from the inside out. I'm a new person. I look the same, but inside I'm different. I think differently. I, my heart beats differently. I, I have a different motives and I have different agendas because now they're not my own. Hopefully they're God's. That's the point. It's, it's a picture. My, my old life is gone. I'm dead to my old life. I've raised to a new life. You know, when we do baptisms, what the, the picture of baptism is not, hey, let's just, I've given my life to Jesus. Now I need to get into some water. That's not what it is. Like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus. I need a bath. No. This is a symbolic, beautiful thing. All right, so when, when people go into the water, they are signifying the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When they go under the water, they're saying, I'm dying to my old life. The old man is dead. And they raise into a new life, a resurrected life following Jesus. That's what baptism is for. So if you've given your life to Jesus and never done that, this is the step that Jesus requires. Not for your salvation, but because this is what believers do. And you signed over the rights to your life when you made him CEO. So you can't say, well, I don't want to do that. Or I'll do it when I'm good and ready. No, he says no. When you have the opportunity and you're a follower of Jesus, this is your next step, period. That's what you're supposed to do. So if you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus and you know it, you've done those things that I just said, and yet well, every time we do a baptism, you go, well, I'll wait till the next time. You are being disobedient. You don't have that right any longer. Because when you signed up, remember what we said? I'm turning away from my life, turning back to him, giving him control. That's what I did. When, when he tells me to move, I need to move. When he says jump, I need to say how high. That's, that's, if you want to be a follower, that's what it looks like. Now, if you want to do your own thing, that's, 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 that's up to you. He doesn't force you to do anything, but don't claim to be a follower of Jesus when you're following your own self and not Jesus, right? A follower of Jesus implies I'm following Jesus. If I'm doing it my way, I'm not following Jesus, I'm doing it my way. And like I said last week, only one person can lead the dance. You or him. Paul said, Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. We said, this was last week's message. My old life has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in his earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I'm dead in my life. My, my life was crucified with Christ. The old Greg is dead, gone, buried. The new life is supposed to, I don't always get this right, that's for sure, but I'm supposed to just be totally submitted to him. It's kind of like a restaurant. Restaurant, you go to the restaurant, there's a sign under new management. 
There ought to be a sign in your life if you're in Christ. It's under new management. The old manager, he's gone. He's dead. You got a new manager. His name is Jesus. That's who's managing now. Let, let's, just get down, let's just get down to business here, okay? Because we're getting ready to do baptisms. And, and here's the deal. If, if you are here today and you have been relying on your heritage because you, you, your parents were Christians and your grandparents were Christians and everybody in your family has been Christian, but you have never done those things, that's what you need to do today. If you've been, if, if you've been maybe you said a prayer, but didn't, you haven't had those things happen. There's been no repentance. There's been none of that stuff. Then you need to, you need to do this, okay? This is, not, this is not about, oh, this is going to make me feel good. I, look, I'd feel great if you did that. This is not a, it's not about anything. It's about you and God. That's it. It's like God and you having this conversation. And, and, because one day you will. You're going to stand before him. And here's the good thing. By, when you make this commitment, this is, it, it, a lot of people are like, oh, man, I don't know. This is the best decision you make because your life is totally radically changed for the good. It's, it's awesome. It is like unbelievable when you give your life. It's, you just not have a perfect life, but Christ lives in you. Life is different. It's awesome. So we're going to pray, give you an opportunity to respond because it's God's time now. So let's just close our eyes, bow our heads, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. So let me just ask you a question. If you're here today and you say, man, I need to do this. I haven't done this. I, I, need, to, I need to have faith. I need to repent of my sins and I need to commit my life to Christ. And I have never really done that. I mean, I've kind of maybe believed in mentally acknowledged it and whatever, but I have never done that. But I want to do that because I want to know 100% that when I die, I'll go to heaven and that my sins are forgiven. And if that is you, no games, I'm not going to delay this. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus, period. I want Jesus and Jesus alone. I've been relying on anything else. Yeah, I see hands. Okay, keep them up there for a second. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray for each person who raised their hand and I pray, God, that they would totally 100% commit to you. And if you just raise your hand and you just like to pray a prayer of commitment. Again, this is the prayer is not what it is. It's the commitment of your heart. It's just kind of a, words that are sealing a deal that happened in your heart. Maybe offer a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, right here, right now, I commit my heart, my life to you. I'm handing you the keys. And I'm, and I'm giving you full control of my life. I ask you to forgive my sin, come into my life, and make me a new person. God, thank you. Thank you that your word never returns void. That you send it out and it does what it needs to do for the people that need to hear. And I'm praying, God, now, as we move over to this time, it's an opportunity for people to respond. I have no clue if they're going to be one, zero, 50, 100. It doesn't matter. It's between you and them, God. It's you doing your work. So have your way as we get ready to baptize. I pray for those people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe just right now, maybe 10 years ago, but they've never been uh, obedient to, to baptism. And I'm praying that they would have the courage to stand up right now and say, that is what I need to do. I'm a Christ follower and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because he went to a cross publicly for me and I'll certainly get into some water publicly for him. Symbolically showing that I'm dying in my old life. So God, this is your time. Do your things in your way as we make room for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.